Jim Rudy's going to have our opening prayer. Thank you, Judy. Dear Lord, we just uh, pause this morning to thank you first for our so many blessings. And Lord, as we think about these blessings, just help us to be worthy of the blessings and, and to never take them for granted. Dear Lord, there are many amongst our Sunday school class in our church and in our lives who have issues, be they health issues or be they money issues or be they employment issues. And Lord, we just pray that you would be with those people and you would help them to find peace and to find a healing, whatever healing may be. Dear Lord, there's a lot of things going on in our church, in our country, and I would just pray that you, you bless our church and bless Mark and bless Carol as we address changes announced by our bishop. They're not going to be easy for us, but with your help, it'll be so much easier. And dear Lord, in addition, please bless our law enforcement community. Bless our military. Freedom is indeed not free. As we go forward this day, we would ask that you keep us safe, you keep us healthy, you keep us happy, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> hear it <laughs> so it seems it would seem good just to take a minute um, if you weren't in church this morning and you haven't gotten the news you will if you go to the second service but since it was mentioned in the prayer it seems like it should be good to say um, there's an announcement in first service if you hadn't heard that uh, the bishop is moving Mark uh, Gooden to Chattanooga uh, beginning of July and uh, oh, sorry middle of June and we'll be uh, receiving Carol Wilson as our new senior pastor so um, a lot of you know Carol it's the daughter of Marjorie our beloved Marjorie Wilson and um, yeah changes are hard and uh, whatever you make of the United Methodist system um, this is this is how things happen, right? And um, and, and here, not sure I was going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Um, it's not going to be easy for Carol to follow Mark. This class probably knows Carol better than anybody else in this church. She's going to need our support, and we need to get the work the word out that Carol's going to be a gift to us. Okay? 
there's going to be a lot of people who don't know who Carol is. And just because we love Mark, it's going to be hard, right? I mean, no one, no one likes this, right, in many cases. And so I'm just hoping we can do our part, right, um, to be advocates for Carol and while letting Mark know we love him and we'll miss him. Um, so it's a real opportunity for this class to do what you always do, which is lead. Um, and to try to shut down whatever stuff goes on. There's, there's nothing good can come from that, right? So uh, thank you for letting me say that. Um, I'm just asking you to do what you would do. Um, but I just think it's really important that we, we do this. Um, and we care about this congregation, and we care about Muncie, and we care about these two dear people to us. And so I hope that we'll do what we can to make that transition as smooth as possible for both of them. Okay. It's not going to be easy for Mark and Judy to leave, and, then, and Carol's going to be, going to be a challenge for her to step in for people who don't know who she is. Okay, okay so I'll, I'll just leave it at that, but thank you for letting me just take a moment to um, sort of say what's on my heart uh, concerning that this morning. We're in the Beatitudes, week three. Right. Um, Quick reminder, because it's been a week, lots happened, right? We've had snow, we've had, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, just to remind ourselves that these opening words of the Sermon on the Mount, um, in Matthew chapter 5, um, very familiar passage uh, to most of us. Um, and Jesus here is not giving us little tidbits of wisdom about uh, how the world is. Um, actually, it's not the way the world is at all. Um, they're really pretty shocking. Uh, Jesus, is, Jesus is announcing um, something about this new kingdom, uh, this new world that's breaking into ours, even now. Uh, what's the character of that world, and, and who are the people, who are the people who are most likely to see that world and to be in a position to receive that world as it's breaking in? Who, who are those people? Uh, they're the ones who will find this news that a new world's breaking in. They're going to find it to be like gospel, like good news, wonderful news that this is so. Who, who are they? Who are these people? Well, Jesus says the, the, the poor in spirit, um, the, those who know uh, every day their own vulnerability, those who know every day that they, they have little in their hands, uh, really, um, that, that, they're, that they're beggars, uh, that they're vulnerable, um, the ones who mourn. The ones who mourn are blessed. Uh, the ones who, who see the world through tears. Right? The ones who see the world through tears. Uh, tears at their losses. Uh, tears at their own, um, their own waywardness. Their own sinfulness. Um, those are the ones. And I was thinking, uh, one of the things I wanted to say last week I didn't get a chance to see, I was thinking about what it might mean to see the world uh, through tears. Um, 
our, our culture doesn't really know what to do with tears most of the time. Um, when you find yourself moved to tears in public, we always feel like we have to apologize, in my experience, right? Uh, oh, I'm so sorry I'm breaking down, or I'm so sorry I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, I don't have it together. Um, and yet, I feel, I feel certain that, that our tears are part, a, a beautiful part of our humanity. And, and I wish that I wish uh, that even in our churches we we honored tears. Um, and I, I got to thinking, um, you know, when you see the world through tears, it's easy to think because when our eyes are teary, things get blurry. And so there's a sense in which you think I don't see as well. But I got to thinking um, the way little drops of water. Um, I'm a amateur photographer and one of the things I love to take pictures of are little beads of water on flowers and leaves. And if you've ever paid attention to that, one of the things that's really striking is little drops of water actually serve as little tiny magnifying glasses. Right? If you look at a little if you look at a leaf through a little tiny drop of water that's on it, you actually see more clearly what you couldn't see without it. Which made me think that maybe, even though it feels like, maybe in one sense, when we're seeing the world through tears, that maybe we're seeing it blurry and maybe we're not seeing it true. I wonder if we're actually seeing it more true through tears. I wonder if we see things through tears that we wouldn't see otherwise. Um, and so maybe, maybe we ought not be so quick uh, to apologize for our tears. Um, so the ones who see through tears um, maybe are in a position to receive this kingdom that's breaking into ours. And today we focus on the third beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Well, we've said all along that Jesus' kingdom that's breaking in is an upside-down kingdom, and we surely feel it with this one. Um, just ask you to think about, like when you hear the word meek, just trying to think about what that brings to mind. Uh, all kinds of things. Probably we might think of that uh, little children's song about baby Jesus, meek and mild, right? Um, but just, it's hard to imagine that meekness is something that uh, the wider society, the kingdoms of this world, honor. Um, I mean, can you imagine uh, you're the HR person uh, at a major, you know, Fortune 500 company, and you're getting ready to hire a new CEO, and you're looking through the resumes, and someone says, you know, listing their qualities, meek. <laughs> meek. Right? Or it's election time, you know, we're seeing, you know, we've got signs all around, 
town, you know. Um, Bob Jones, Mayor Meek. Yeah. Or even if we were, you know, we were looking for, you know, if, if we were choosing a new pastor, right? First quality, you want someone who's meek. Really? Do you? Um, can you imagine a presidential candidate? Make America meek again. I mean, it's just, it's hard to imagine. It's not what we honor. It's not what we honor. And part of it, part of it, but I'm not sure all of it. I mean, part of it is we may misunderstand a little bit what meekness is. We'll see. Um, but I'm pretty sure if we understood it well, I don't think we have any reason to expect that uh, those who are not setting out on the path to follow Jesus uh, would necessarily find this something to commend, to embrace. I think typically when we think about, let's talk about a little bit about what meekness probably isn't, what it sounds like it is. Um, I think meekness is not weakness, which I think is our first notion, that someone who's meek is weak. Um, not just because it rhymes, I just think that's what we think. We think that to be meek is to be weak. Um, here we have the train rumbling. We will pause briefly. You can think about that. It's not meekness isn't weakness. It's not it's not indifference. It's not passivity. It's not just simply being uh, a pushover. It's, it's none of those things. The word that is used here, which is used actually quite a lot in the New Testament, the word Matthew uses here is a word that was often used to describe um, like a wild animal, like a horse that had been tamed. Right. Um, so the sort of strength under control. I mean, the wild horse is still a horse. It's still powerful. But it's channeled in a particular direction. It's not just out of control, aggressive, you know, destructive. It's, it's not that. It's a kind of strength under control. I mean, you might not even know if you saw the horse. You, you might not even know how powerful it is. I, I don't know about you, but I grew up seeing horses primarily from a distance. Those of you who are horse people, we have you in the room. I mean, you, 
the first time you get on a horse, I mean like a full-size horse, it's terrifying. <laughs> That's a huge animal. Has incredible power. And if you're not scared, you're not awake. <laughs> Steel spurs have a way of encouraging that. Yeah, but... And you're glad, I mean, my hunch is, I don't know this, but my, my hunch is none of you have ever been on a wild horse. I mean, you've been on one that has been, quote, broken, right, has been trained, but it's not any less powerful. But the horse, you know, unless encouraged to, doesn't necessarily feel any need to, like, show you in this moment how powerful you are, how powerful it is, and yet how often am I, how often are we encouraged because in many cases it seems like a commendable attribute to kind of remind people in whatever subtle or not so subtle ways how much power you have. That's not meek. That's not meek. So the meek person isn't without power, and power comes in lots of different forms. Right? Um, a person who has moral authority. I mean, people used to be amazed that Mother Teresa could say things that had such power. This little woman who's less than five feet tall she was not an imposing physical presence, but because of the way she lived her life, which was incredibly meek, and she could say sharp things when the moment called for it. So she was no pushover, but she had a power, a kind of moral authority because of the way she lived her life that had a kind of power, added a kind of power, brought a kind of power to her words. But she didn't go around telling people that she was powerful. She didn't need to. Um, there, there was a kind of beauty in the way that she lived her life. And so, you know, meekness is this kind of power under control that stands in contrast to the kind of arrogance and aggressiveness and push yourself to the front of the line because if you don't advocate for yourself, if you don't stand up for yourself, if you don't um, push yourself to the front, then you'll never get there. And you have to get there because the only way anything it does in this world is from the front. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Paul talks about the need for meekness in our life together, where you get the sense that somehow this willingness uh, to, be, to be humble, and it's, it's interesting how often in Scripture meekness is paired with humble. Um, 
In fact, sometimes the, the word uh, that we translate as meekness is translated as humble in certain contexts. But sometimes um, it's, it's um, in your current translation, it might come across as gentle, gentleness. Um, so, for example, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which in your translation might be gentleness, is the exact same word that Jesus is using here, that often is translated as meek. The gentle. Uh, again, not sure that we uh, commend gentleness. Um, and just to be honest, it's particularly difficult um, in some cases, I think in many cases, if, if, you're, if you're a man in American society, um, we, you think about all the images that are thrown up about manly men, right? Who are the really manly men? And if you ask, you know, if we were playing Family Feud and we asked you know, to list the top eight attributes of a really manly man, pretty sure gentleness would not make the list. Am I, am I right about that? I think I'm right about that. Um, gentleness, I mean, again, it sounds like weakness. Uh, it sounds like weakness. And yet, listen to Paul's words to the church at Ephesus, where he's trying to commend, he knows that somehow their life together depends on something like humility and meekness, uh, something like gentleness. He writes, therefore I, Paul, the prisoner in the Lord, this is chapter four, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and meekness. I mean, it's the first things he mentions, right? What, what's, what's this life that you've been called to, right? To live this life with all humility and gentleness or meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So meekness has to do with this power under control, this, this willingness to yield in many cases, our power, our, our rights, our, our privileges to the control of God and God's purposes to whatever strength or power that we might have to keep that under control and to, just like the horse, to, to channel that uh, towards God's purposes rather than all kinds of other things that I might use that, that power and privilege for. If we look at scripture and think about people who are who are models of meekness. Uh, one of the first times this is mentioned is, is kind of a, it's kind of an odd story. It's hard, it's one of those stories where we wish we knew a lot more about what's going on. It's a story from Numbers 12, and it's about Moses, a uh, kind of famous passage. Um, it, it has all kinds of problems because we don't really, it's hard to figure out what's going on. Um, but Moses is uh, is being approached um, by Aaron and Miriam. 
Miriam's his sister, Aaron's his brother. And there, there seems to be some kind of conflict, and it's not clear about whether the conflict, it sounds like the conflict is over Moses' leadership um, because they sort of call into question, like, hey, do you think you're the only one that hears from God? Um, like, we hear from God too. And so, but the, so that seems to be, but that's what actually comes out of their mouths, this sort of criticism of, of Moses. But what the presenting thing is, is it says they come to him uh, upset because he's married a Cushite woman. Um, and it goes on to say, and he had indeed married a Cushite woman. Um, and, you know, his wife Zipporah uh, apparently was a Cushite, which most of you don't know who the Cushites are. I mean, why would you? Um, but best we can tell, it's, it's a area of Ethiopia, what we, what we think of as Ethiopia. And uh, so it's a good chance she was dark-skinned, probably didn't look like everybody else in the camp. And um, so it's hard to know exactly what that had to do with the leadership issue. It's, you know, it's probably one of those dynamics where, you know, people are arguing about things and you're not really clear, like, what's really being argued about? <laughs> Uh, what, what's really going on here? What's the real issue? Ever had that in your family, or is it just mine? <laughs> it's like um, we are really heated here, but like, what are we really upset about? Um, yeah, I'm sure none of you have ever walked in after being out and got upset about in the workplace or somewhere else, and you brought that home and took it out on somebody else. Uh, <laughs> Really, what it was about was like what was happening over here. But I mean, and it, this is one of those stories. But what's interesting here is after Moses gets accused of this, right? Like he married a Cushite woman. Um, the text says, and I should read it just because I, I want to get it right because it's it's very it's very sparse. Um, this is in Numbers twelve. Um, Right before this, the accusation is, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They're saying this to Moses, right? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. So what happens next? I'm expecting, I mean, I don't know, have you, what's your... What's your initial reaction when somebody gets in your face and tells you, like, or asks you, like, hey, what's going on? What's this about? How come you did this? How come you're like that? I have a little tendency to get defensive. Um, just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. Just a teeny, teeny, tiny bit. <laughs> To want to defend myself, to want to justify myself. Text doesn't say that Moses said anything. In fact, what happens, uh, God comes to his defense. He does, like a good parent, he says, Hey, the three of you, come here. Meet me here. We're going to talk. <laughs> and then he, he rebukes uh, Moses' siblings, Miriam for an unknown reason, 
gets the worst of it. Um, that's the way it goes, right, ladies? Um, so what can we say? But it's just, it's just a fascinating story, even though I don't really know what to make of it, but it's just interesting that you know, Moses has the, what sounds like a pretty pointed critique at him. Um, apparently he says nothing. God comes to his defense and it's just made in passing that he's like the meekest person on the face of the planet, whatever that means. Um, so that's one of the first times where meekness is kind of held up as a kind of commendable thing. Um, but the whole, the whole life of Jesus sort of is an incredible embodiment of meekness, isn't it? Uh, not just what he says, uh, but just, the, just his life. I mean, talk about upside down. Um, God of the universe is incarnate in Jesus Christ, steps in amongst us, and is born in a cave or a stable meant for animals, um, becomes a refugee in Egypt, right? Um, John the Baptist is baptizing, comes out to be baptized. John says, I'm not baptizing you. It's like, yeah, go ahead, it's all right. Right? Jesus doesn't say, you're absolutely right. You're not baptizing me because I know who I am and pretty soon everybody else is too. No, Jesus, Jesus is baptized. Right? On and on and on and on. I mean, when you think about all the, all the things that, that Jesus does and, and where, you know, how his life unfolds. He doesn't have any possessions. Doesn't even seem to have pocket change, right? They're arguing, arguing about Roman coins, and he has to borrow one, right? Um, so he can, can make a little point. Um, he pretty much allows other people to set the agenda. I was thinking about this week. Um, here, Jesus has all this power, and he almost never heals. Anyone, I think there are two exceptions. He almost never heals anyone unless the initiative is theirs. Right? He has all this power to heal. He could go around healing everybody, like, look at me. He doesn't do any of that. When someone comes and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay? Um, that's just fascinating to me. Um, you know, he rides in to Jerusalem, the so-called triumphal entry, um, on this donkey, um, which is a meek animal. And even Matthew, you know, who's writing, recording the Beatitudes, records it this way. He picks up on a, a couple passages from the uh, the Hebrew scriptures tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you meek and mounted on a donkey. Right. Bill. Yes, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> My phone dictionary 
said the first definition is humbly patient. Hmm. And I was thinking, <clears throat> since I'm so patient, no, yeah. how much strength is in patience? And just what you have said, Jesus was patient. People came to him. Yeah. So I thought I'd help you out. Thank you. You're so good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, anyone, anyone who's been patient um, knows how much harder it is than to be impatient. It's incredibly difficult to be patient. It takes strength. That is right. It takes strength to be patient. Right? Um, absolutely right. She's meek too. Anyway. The night before Jesus is executed, right? he takes a basin and a cloth and washes his disciples' feet. Such humility and meekness and gentleness. And it's offensive. Right? Peter's offensive is like, you're not washing my feet. I mean, you can't imagine the Roman emperor washing anyone's feet. Right? It kind of freaked a lot of people out when the Pope was washing people's feet. Right? It was striking, though. Right? It was striking. Not just anyone's feet. Like, prisoners' feet. To humble yourself. Um, so throughout, throughout Scripture, I mean, throughout the story of Jesus, Jesus just... It's part of who he is, this humility and meekness. And to think about what that says about this kingdom. Jesus isn't just talking about meekness. Jesus is meek. But he's not weak. He's not weak. He has presumably all the power that's available. But he sees no need. Sees no need to sort of show it off. Right? When he's before Pilate, he sees no need to defend himself. He sees no need to defend himself with his words. Um, and so he says things you know, in, in Matthew that remind us that he is a person of meekness. He says famously, but maybe we hear it a little differently now. In Matthew 11, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus seems to think it's precisely because he is meek and humble that we'll find rest. Um, how striking is that? And Paul in 2 Corinthians says, I, Paul, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'd forgotten that passage. 
that Paul appealed, that that's one of the, think about all the things that you could appeal to someone about Jesus by, to appeal to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So yeah, meekness is this humility that kind of flows from, we, we talked about the Beatitudes being a kind of ladder uh, in the Christian tradition that they lead on one another and it makes sense at one level that the, that the meek, that the humble are precisely the poor in spirit and those who see the world through tears. Right? They see themselves clearly. I mean, part of, part of being humble is just having a clear sense of who you really are. Um, when I don't have an inflated sense of who I am, I mean, if I'm poor in spirit because I'm aware of my vulnerability, um, my waywardness, if I mourn my own sinfulness, then that changes my posture, that changes the way I walk through the world. Um, I'm a lot more gentle with other people because I realize they're frail like me. Right? They're frail like me. Uh, so, and so it feels like there's less need for me to put someone in their place or to speak harshly or to throw around my power um, to crush people who are like me, frail, wounded, vulnerable. And so it seems like you know, one of the things that goes with meekness is this, the reason it's possible is because there's this deep and abiding trust in God. I think this is the last and most important thing to say. The foundation of this is not the person who's trying to be meek. We said, remember, these Beatitudes are not <coughs> advice about how to get along in the world. They're just Jesus' announcement about the kingdom and who's in a position to receive it, uh, to see it, to think it's good news. And here Jesus is saying, it's, it's the meek. It's the ones who don't feel like they have to exert all this energy even to justify themselves. I was thinking this week because um, <coughs> You probably have these situations. I had one of these situations come up this week, and it's, the details are really unimportant. Um, but it reminded me how easy it is to expend an enormous amount of energy um, when one, um, and this was no big deal. It wasn't even a huge deal, except it was a huge deal to me because I was the one who I felt like was being misunderstood, if not falsely accused of doing something that I hadn't done. And what could be, what could be any, what, what worse thing could happen in the world than that other people might not see that I'm the really good guy that I know I am. <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I was, I was distraught that somehow there would be people that somehow their estimation of me, you know, would have fallen. And so I had to think about, like, how can I justify myself? But if you have this 
deep and abiding trust in God. That at the end of the day, God is my justifier. Not me, not you. Then I'd like to think there would come a day, and I am not there yet. <laughs> I would like to be, I'd like to think there would come a day where if the Spirit works in my life more, that I could just let that go and not worry about it. Not think that I had to marshal whatever energy, you know, to, to justify myself in the eyes of other people. That that's not, that's not my job. Um, and that there's, and there's great freedom in that, actually. This is good news. Um, because, as Paul says in, in Romans 8, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us, right? Where on most days it feels like all I care is about is who's against me and how, to, and how to convince them that they really don't need to be because I'm not what they think I am. But if you're poor in spirit and you mourn your own sins, then you, you have to at least hold up the possibility that you actually might be more like what they see than you think. And even if you aren't, God is for you. God is for me. And that allows me to walk through the world, that allows us to walk through the world with a deeper sense of humility and meekness. And this is the kingdom that's coming. And these are the people Jesus says who are actually going to inherit the earth, not the people who try to grasp it, not the people who try to possess it, uh, not the people who work so hard to somehow wrest the world and all, its, all that it has to offer from the hands of other people. Notice Jesus says they will inherit the earth. Right? It's going to be given to them. Uh, this new heaven, this new earth, um, this, this is going to be granted to them, not because they grasp for it, not because they, with their own aggressiveness and power and violence, somehow uh, secured it for themselves. <clears throat> but this coming kingdom is a gift, and they'll be in a position to receive it. And they'll probably be surprised. <laughs> they'll probably be surprised. Um, it's like receiving a gift you were pretty sure you didn't deserve. Um, what a beautiful thing um, to be called and to see that maybe, maybe the community of citizens of this kingdom who are called to bear witness to this kingdom um, bear the marks of, of meekness and, and humility and gentleness. Let's pray. God of power and might. We bow before you humbly, humbled by the fact that when you came and walked among us, you saw little need. 
to show off your mighty strength and power. But you use the power and strength you had for redemptive purposes, for our good. We give you thanks for that and pray that whatever measure of power and influence and strength that we might have, small or great, that that by your spirit might likewise be channeled for the good of our neighbors, for the good of your kingdom, and to your glory. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Amen. <coughs>